Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is our 548th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Keith Thompson, best-selling author. We're going to be talking about his book, Born to be Hanged, the epic story of the gentleman pirates who ruled the South Seas, rescued a princess, and stole a fortune. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. Our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. So first of all, welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We are excited. Our first section is called Farouk Dinarin, and what we're really trying to do is just give our listeners a little bit of background. So start us off with sort of uh, the background information for this story. Who are the main characters? Uh, when and where is it set? Um, sort of just lay the groundwork for us. The main characters in the story are not pirates, even though the story follows 366 pirates uh, on a pirating expedition, they are uh, an accountant, a naturalist, and a surgeon who um, have a combination of uh, longing for adventure in their lives and longing for for money. Um, And in 1680, they join the uh, buccaneer crew um, in raiding the, the Pacific um, raiding Spanish settlements on, uh, 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 on the Pacific Ocean in South America. Um, I think that was an answer to one out of six parts of that question. What, what were the others? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just interested. So give us kind of a sense. They're raiding Spanish settlements in, in on the Pacific. Are we talking about, are, are these places that we would recognize today? Um, are they large settlements? Because most of us, I think, uh, when we think about the Spanish, particularly in terms of, of being on the coast, we think of the Caribbean. Um, and we're thinking about Jamaica and Cuba and those kinds of places. And we don't really tend to think of the fact that the Spanish were also on the Pacific side of, of um, South, Central and, and South America as well. Right. Well, uh, the Piracy, uh, as far as the English were concerned, was taking place largely in the Caribbean, and the, um, that, that's one of the reasons that this particular group of, of pirates um, wanted to go plunder the Pacific. It hadn't been done before, and it was sort of virgin territory, and the Spanish had dropped their guard, so they um, decided to walk overland close to where the Panama Canal now is. When there was no canal, there was just land. So they, they w- walked across the narrowest point of uh, Panama um, to what's now Panama City. Then it was um, just known as Panama. Uh, and they, uh, from there, proceeded to some of the other big settlements, like uh, they went down to uh, Arica and Chile and... Um, they were hoping to raid Guayaquil, which I think is in Ecuador, and um, a, a few other smaller cities uh, on the western coast of South America. So, Keith, what were they? What were they looking for? Was was this hunting for what Inca gold or 
Are they looking for other things? Are, are there other things that the, that the Spanish are pulling out of the New World that interest these guys? Um, is this is there a political motivation? Are, are we sort of, you know, bashing the Spanish because it's fun to do? <laughs> so, so what are they kind of hoping to accomplish? I think to a large extent, the, the pirates uh, were, were mostly English, and I, I think that they um, hated this, the Spaniards, but I don't think that there was any motivation other than financial. Um, the Spaniards were extracting huge amounts of uh, wealth from the colonies, uh, gold and, and silver that they were mining or in point of fact, uh, forcing indigenous peoples to, to mine, and the pirates simply sought to relieve it, uh, relieve them of it. <laughs> so help me kind of understand, because particularly when you talk about the, the English, you know, there are pirates, and then there are uh, these other folks called privateers. Are these really pirates who are involved in this or are these also folks who have gotten some sort of um dispensation from the english government to uh to run amok um on uh, on the spanish yeah privateers are basically pirates with a with a government issued license to prey on another sovereign nation so there were a lot of instances where um the english would the government would authorize um a private vessel to uh act uh in england's interest uh this wasn't not one of those uh occasions and if you are going pirating without such a license which is known as a letter of mark or um then you're just a pirate and the the distinction in court is that if you're pirating you're you're going to hang if you're found guilty um the the englishmen in this particular um, expedition didn't want to hang for obvious reasons if they were caught. So they um, used as a pretext uh, that they were helping to rescue a, a indigenous uh, Kuna princess who'd been kidnapped uh, and was a sex slave of uh, the Spaniards in a, a Spanish garrison in Santa Maria in modern Panama. Um, by rescuing her uh, on behalf of her grandfather, the um, pirates could say, all right, well, you know, we were authorized by this sovereign, this uh, king of the Kuna people to rescue his granddaughter. We were, uh, uh, we were um, you know, effectively had a, a letter of mark. And um, in the process, they were going to take uh, all the Spanish gold and Santa Maria, the, uh, which they believed to be somewhere around 18,000 pounds per year that the Spaniards were basically panning um, from the Santa Maria River and extracting from the mines in the vicinity. So the, there, were, the, there was a substantial amount of money for each pirate. It, it would be more than he could make in his lifetime by a factor of maybe 20, sure. at least. Sure. So, so the important thing for us to know here as we end this first segment is that these guys were humanitarians and, and that they were, they were acting um, out of honor and chivalry as opposed to uh, greed and <laughs> – right? 
Um, well, uh, in the Disney version, yeah, <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> Right. Well, as you can guess, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Hines, proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom has muscular dystrophy, and the MDA helps her and kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. And MDA funds over 150 care centers for kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Learn more at MDA.org today. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Keith Thompson, best-selling author, and we're talking about his book, Born to be Hanged, the epic story of the gentleman pirates who ruled the South Seas rescued a princess, and stole a fortune. Our history buffs today are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. Brett, as the resident historian, I'll give you first shot. Okay, so I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit. You said uh, in the first part that one of your main characters was an accountant. So what goes so sideways in an accountant's life that he ends up on a ship raiding Spanish possessions in the Pacific. I don't know that anything necessarily went wrong. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, knowing what my peers chose to do for their first jobs out of college, I'm not in any place to uh, point fingers. I'm just curious how he ends up there. Um, this guy's name was Basil Ringrose. He was sort of an autodidact. He spoke latin fluently and a, a couple other languages and he uh but he he grew up poor he couldn't afford to um go to college and he 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 was faced with the prospect of taking over the sword store that his dad owned i think it was called the golden sword in london it was a tiny little 200 square foot place um where he grew up uh, watching his dad uh, make swords um, and dreamed of, of wielding them. Um, and he chose not to work for his dad. And the best job he could get was as a supercargo and just in charge of the cargo, basically uh, an accountant on merchant ships. And when he was 27 years old, um, he didn't have the best marriage and he just didn't have the really much going on well at all in his life. Um, and he decided that it'd be great to make a, a bunch of money. Um, so he signed on with the pirates. Okay. Rick, Keith, I, uh, read the book and in fact, the, uh, review on it that says once you start reading you won't put it down and that's exactly what happened it's absolutely an incredible story uh 
Well, thanks. That was nice of my mom to write that review. Also, <laughs> I will. I'll send it to. You. It's uh, the thing that struck me uh, throughout the the body of work is uh, these people went through just incredible physical terror in terms of starvation, almost uh, uh, dehydration, uh, being shot at, uh, just you know, walking across the narrow part of Panama. When there was no highways, it was nothing. That that almost killed off the entire process. Uh, why did these pirates uh, or these gentlemen uh, stay with this this life with such a terrifying physical universe that they operated in? Um, I think there are a lot of romantic notions that to to some extent are true. I think that they did like the adventure. Um, that was certainly the case for uh, William Dampier, the naturalist, and for Lionel Wafer, who was a surgeon uh, in Jamaica, which at the time was an English colony. Um, they just wanted more excitement. They didn't want to take the sort of um, well-worn path uh, that uh, life had laid out for them. But in general, uh, these guys had the pirates had bad lives um they maybe had gotten fired or uh, couldn't get jobs on the lowliest plantations and that th- they felt that uh everything was riding on this expedition that if they didn't come away with money they they would have lives that weren't weren't really that much better than not being alive at all so um I think they were willing to risk everything. The stakes were just, in their minds at least, extraordinarily high for them. So being um, so being hung, if you failed, was okay because life, <laughs> after being a, a failure as a pirate, is uh, is worse than being dead. Well, their motto was, a, you know, a married life for a short one, um, and I think that they felt that they, they would have, you know, a good deal of merriment, uh, you know, as pirates. I don't think that they anticipated. I don't think anybody could have anticipated how difficult it would be to walk across the Darien Gap and the, the jungly region of uh, Panama. It certainly wasn't merry uh, ever, um, but I think it was just uh, a function of um, their lives completely sucked, and this was their one chance for uh, a life that, that uh, wouldn't suck, so they were just willing to do whatever it take to, to, to get the gold. Keith, I'd like to focus in on that that trek uh, across Panama. Um, I was lucky enough as an undergraduate to do two summers in uh, the jungles in Yucatan and Belize doing work on Mayan ruins. And one of the things that our professor had us do the first day was we had to actually hike into the first set of ruins. Um, and, you know, this is back in the 70s when you didn't have roads and all those things. And it was at least for... For a Midwesterner, um, it was a pretty eye-opening, shocking, terrifying experience. So I can imagine for some of these folks the same kinds of things. Can you, so can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what this entailed trying to make this trip and how long it took? Well, uh, in, in the, the best-case scenario, uh, it's going to take, 10 days. It's about a 50 mile stretch and you're walking over high mountains. And, um, this is a, a stretch that's impassable t- 
today uh, of jungle. I, I, it's it's been in the news because of a lot a lot of migrants are trying to go through that region because it's the the borders are largely undefended because nobody would be stupid enough to to, to go through there yeah. and and a, a lot of them aren't making it. Um, and I, I guess uh, the thing that was most surprising to me about the the Darien Gap, the the, the just or jungle in, in general is really how inhospitable it is to humans. Like there just aren't a whole lot of plants you can eat. Um and the pirates um couldn't really carry enough provisions for themselves, certainly um they, they didn't bring more than a couple days worth and they had to fend for themselves in the jungle which one of the very first things that they ate were apples um, from a, I forget what the, the name of the tree is called, the manzanella tree. That that's it's the, the Spanish term for it is uh, little apple of death. And uh, that uh, proved fatal in, in, in one of their cases. Um, there just isn't a whole lot to eat there. Uh, it's, so it's just really hard between the lack of food and the dehydration and the various predators, um, all kinds of bugs, the the the, the size of tricycles and um, uh, deprivations. It's 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 hard. And again, it's that that was one of the the uh, the insect life being gigantic and mostly fluorescent was one of the images mm-hmm. that that is still very much with me from from those uh, from those treks. So I, I get. And and that was sort of my point was you know these guys I assume at least our our English friends um, who hadn't spent much time in the Caribbean before this event had no idea what they were walking into um, so that makes it even worse because you know you're kind of going in blind and trying to figure out as you go um, did they you know what kinds of did they turn on each other were there you know sort of um, did they have to abandon people at some point because they were, you know, too too hurt or whatever, um, too sick to to go on? How how did the crew sort of manage this? Well, they left their ships uh, on the northern side of Panama on the Sandbars Islands, which is a three hundred and sixty five island uh, archipelago um, that's now known as the Gunayala. Um, so. I, I, I guess, uh, you know, they didn't know how hard it was going to be. And some of them did go back. Um, and uh, I, I think four or five, it was just ridiculous after a day. And they figured, all right, well, we'll just hike back. And that was fine. But once I got uh, further into the, the, the Darien, um, they, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't go back because if the Spaniards um, – and there were Spanish. Uh, there was a Spanish military presence. If if uh, one of them were to uh, go astray or even run into any Spaniards at all, he was uh, posed a risk to the rest of the of the company to say, "Oh yeah, um, we're about to go mount a surprise attack on the garrison at uh, Santa Maria down at the other end of the isthmus," and that would have ruined the surprise. So had anybody wanted to go back after the first day after they were out of range of the the ships um the the he he would have uh had a a bullet in his head from the other pirates sure um does that answer the question yeah sure 
Is that Brett. a two-parter? <laughs> Maybe, if <laughs> it's okay. Brett. So you talk about how much it sucks going across Panama. Is this significantly different than the types of problems they faced at sea? I imagine that at, at some point if the wind's not blowing, you also find yourself in a situation with not a, a lot of water and food. So were they in some ways used to that? And so it, it might not have been fun, but it wasn't unusual? Or, or was this a different kind of unpleasant that they uh, they couldn't work with? Well, I, I guess the surprising thing to me and probably to a lot of people is that pirates were doing land raids at all. But uh, especially for the buccaneers, the, the sort of Caribbean-based uh, English pirates uh, uh, in the 17th century. That was really um, the rule, rather than the exception. They would uh, attack. Um, they would they would land uh, and mount surprise attacks on Spanish cities um, on on the coast, and they would raid the city or perhaps uh, hold it for ransom, whereby um, they would just cause all kinds of havoc, and the Spaniards would have to basically pay them to leave. Um, but when they did get uh, onto ships, and, and these guys, after they raided Panama, they did take ships to, which they stole, to um, raid more cities along the uh, western coast of the continent. Um, they did run into um, doldrums, areas where there was no wind, and they ran out of provisions and suffered dehydration and scurvy and things that were made the, um, you know, the, the 10-day trek uh, across the Darien Isthmus seem like a walk in the park. It was, it was nice in comparison. And so those privations were part of the um, pirate experience but, um, and were far worse than the jungle. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Go ahead, Rick. <laughs> Jesus. Keith, um, sort of uh, looking at the the stress that this group was, and you said they started off with like 366 people and, and some left throughout the, the saga in your book. And one of the concepts that I found really curious was the word mutiny. It's a, it's a leadership selection process. And I thought it was like uh, Captain Jack Sparrow where, you know, you killed the captain, threw his body over, and then went on your merry way. But it, mutiny apparently was a democratic process. They selected their leaders. Am I, am I wrong in my assumption? You're absolutely right. The pirates were uh, real precursors to um, our uh, sort of constitutional system. They uh, elected uh, a captain, and if they didn't like the job he was doing, um, they would vote him out and replace him with somebody else. There were seldom you know, blades held to knives, uh, sorry, blades held to necks and when they mutinied. It was just more of a parliamentary procedure. Well, so speaking of we're coming toward the end of our segment here, so it felt to me like we needed to at least talk about how this turned out. Um, are they ultimately successful? 
Uh, are there folks here that that we would recognize names of um, from from the future? Do they all sort of get rich and and disappear into uh, <laughs> in, into into history? Uh, do they all get caught and executed in various forms? How did how did all of this turn out for these for these folks who were who were you know rolling the dice uh, for a better life? Just to just to spoil the ending, um, <laughs> right? Um, well, uh, the the uh, one of the captains who was a two time captain he was uh, deposed and then uh, elevated again was Bartholomew Sharp, who's probably the most famous member of the of the at least as a pirate i think dampier was a very famous naturalist um but um sharp ultimately captured a very valuable uh spanish prize and he nevertheless uh was caught uh, along with uh, a number of the other uh members of the crew and they were tried in england and they were acquitted interesting so, and and was he as as shocked as anybody else that he that he was acquitted? <laughs> um, I don't think so. He, uh, in the course of his uh, pirating, captured a very valuable uh, map, uh, a, a, a book of maps of, of the Spanish harbors that um, I think the King Charles was very glad to have, and probably um, in order to have sharp um advise him and uh to gain more intelligence for sharp uh, arranged that the jury would acquit okay you need to read the book jay you really need to read the book (laughs) you know it's okay it's it's good there's there's no need to now <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I guess it's in, a journey. It's a journey. in all honesty, I am that person who reads the last chapter first and enjoys how you get there. So maybe that, you know, I'm just one of those guys. Um, Keith, uh, we try to give our uh, our uh, guests the last word here. Um, so why do you think knowing about this particular uh, event in history um, is relevant in today's world? What can we get out of this? Um, you know, I'm more intrigued in this story by the characters who we haven't really touched on, Basil Ringrose and William Dampier and Lionel Wafer, the surgeon. They um, had read about piracy a few years earlier in um, really the first book uh, about pirates by a pirate uh, that came out Um it was called Buccaneers of America. It was written by a surgeon uh, who sailed with Captain Henry Morgan about a decade earlier. And I I love it that um, they uh, wanted to go on adventures and uh go with pirates and these these are guys who all um maybe with the exception of ring rose but who all had their lives uh laid out for them like golden paths uh dampier owned an estate um outside of london um and uh i think that um it's it's kind of cool to take risks and roll the dice and not you know just 
so I, I, I think that, that that's why it's, it's relevant today. It's just, it's a reminder that, um, that it's swell to have adventures. All right. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 548th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme. It was written and performed by Mark Zapp Zapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Keith Thompson, best-selling author. We've been talking about his book, Born to be Hanged, the epic story of the gentleman pirates who ruled the South Seas, rescued a princess, and stole a fortune. The history buffs for today were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Pasutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.